With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Howdy, folks. Happy Thursday. Um, we have some things to discuss. Two games last night. Uh, a very uh, interesting hire by the Philadelphia Flyers. Some potential suspensions uh, in that Edmonton-Vegas game. Uh, one, one is up in the air because it's the, the player safety is going to review it. The other one is supposedly uh, a definite, but they could pull it back depending on circumstance. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, start us off the pre-show, Russ. So um, let's talk about the, um, the NFL schedule. The jet schedule is out. The hype is already there. So I just, I want to tell people right now, the Jets will be 17 and 0, so there's no reason going through the schedule and saying, I wonder if this will be a win, or I wonder if this will be a loss. They just they have Aaron Rodgers now, and they're gonna go 17 and 0. So the Bills will be in just another stepping stone onto the Super Bowl. So I just I want to make this very clear right now so that we really don't have to talk about it at all in the offseason. Uh Jan, your thoughts on 17 and 0? <laughs> Well, I saw Russ's tweet earlier and I purposely ignored it because I knew he was being sarcastic, but he's kind of removed the fun of the old Mike Francesa, Chris Mad Dog Russo, that'll be a win, Mike. That'll be a yeah. loss. Um, he can, look, the NFL has figured out a way to make a schedule release a three-day endeavor, which is pretty oh, impressive, geez. and and get get a whole bunch of eyeballs on top of it. So kudos to them in terms of turning this into uh, into a dramatic it's, event. Jan, it's torturous. I mean, just just release the friggin' thing. They got to make a show out of this goddamn thing at eight. I, I don't even care. Honestly, I don't care. Yeah, I mean, you don't no, care, but but the, but, die, but diehards diehards who are crazies. Look, I'm interested just to kind of see who they who they play. Well, we, let me rephrase that. We know who they play. I'm interested, obviously, to see. When they play, I'm kind of interested to see in terms of the number of primetime type of games they get because clearly that's a, a evidence of their increased standing in the league. Look, Detroit's on a ton of times this year also, including the first game of the season, which nobody expected. So that gives you an indication just what the schedule makers think what is going to come out of Detroit this year. Well, I mean, this is the thing. And it, you, you know who's the most excited about the uh, the schedule announcement are the radio stations that cover these teams because this is going to be programming for the next four weeks. Well, let's look at the let's look at the order. I mean, they're already, you know, let's look at the order. Are the, are the Bills going to play on week 17? You know, like, I mean, oh, my God, it's just it's just droning on crap. I mean, yeah, I do want to say this. Like, I think in the past, Jan, you're right, and based on the team standing – would be the how good they think they are. They don't care how the Jets do. They just care that they're Aaron Rodgers. They have Aaron Rodgers. Of course. Oh, yeah. Of course. The Absolutely. Crash and burn. The Jets could crash and burn with Aaron Rodgers, and they're happy to talk about that too. No, I, well, well, that's, well, that's why you have the flexible schedule as well, right? I mean, that's, that's part of the reason at the end of the year, right? You have that flex option because there were a couple of games, and I think there was some Monday night games that were about as stinker as stinker could be last year, and – 
they they on the broadcast they remarked even how badly some of those games how bad some of those games were. So yeah, we we got to fix your audio a little. It's really staticky. Yeah. Okay. People are having a hard time. I don't know much more I can do. I'm, I'm unfortunately I'm in the office, so there's only so much I can do right now. Yeah, I mean, on the cell service I got, I'm not on Wi-Fi. That's fine. It's not. It's not. It's not. On, it's, not uh, un, it's not un. It's not unintelligible. But no, no I, but this is the thing, and, and I, I don't know if I buy this, but you know, Russ was saying, well, the Bills are getting the Jets at the best time because it's early in the season, and Aaron Rodgers will not have familiarized himself. And like he's under a Nathaniel Hackett offense, so he's played under that before. So I don't think. You know, he's going to have chances during training camp in the preseason to get used to his players. I don't think it's going to really affect them that much that it's week one that they're playing the Bills instead of, say, week I'm going to tell you it does. You know why it does? Because history tells you, and this is with really any Jets quarterback that has ever gone to that, to that city, regardless of who the personnel is and who the coaches are, it's mm-hmm. never a smooth week one with the new quarterback. Never, ever, 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 ever. I can't even tell you the last time – the Jets got a new quarterback, whether it's a supposed superstar like Brett Favre or this, and they were great week one right out of the gate. Can you remember that, Jim? Well, the difference is with Favre. You remember, he came in in August, right? So it was a little bit different in terms of timing. Here, A. Rodgers is going into a system, as Mike kind of pointed out, that he knows already, presuming Hackett maintains a similar system as, as Green Bay. B, he has the benefit of a full training camp with the team, which certainly won't hurt necessarily in terms of in terms of getting acclimated to to his teammates, et cetera. So, but no, I mean, it's rare. I mean, look, I mean, more times than not, it's been a number one draft pick. Darnold started week one. I think Sanchez started week one. Um, I don't, the only one I think who might've been, may have been Pennington might've been the only one who might not have started week right. one of guys who've recently gone in the first round. That's, I mean, Wilson went in round one in, in week one. So not necessarily ideal in terms of who they, who they put into the role, just given the fact that those guys were just trying to learn how to sink or swim in general, let alone being a veteran presence to understand how offenses and defenses work. Uh, I just saw this little thing. And before, before we start this, I start the show. Uh, PK Subban's dad apparently is had is part of a group in Ontario to get gambling ads banned from uh, NHL games. Um I'm sure his son can inform his dad that this is a cash cow for the league. And part of the, part of the cash cow is advertising on games. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's annoying as all hell to watch FanDuel, DraftKings, bet three, six, five, all these different ones, but you're never getting these ads banned. I, I, I seriously doubt that they're ever going to limit the, the ad, these ads on these games. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's as you mentioned, Mike. It's a cash cow, right? It's a revenue stream. Um, we've used the term, I think, in the past that the leagues are in bed with them. It's clearly created some down, at least not in prof- well in professional sports. The downstream risk has been we saw what happened with Calvin Ridley. We saw what happened with Williams from Detroit, but that was more so for Williams that he was actually betting on team premises as opposed to placing the bet itself, which lends itself to a whole nother sense of irony already as you talked about. We can have the advertisements there, but you can't bet in the facility, which I get. But if he's not betting on the NFL or he's not betting on anything that he has a direct impact to, I'm not quite sure why we've held that out to be the standard bearer, that you have to be off-premises through the betting. But the NFL right now is basically just making money hand over fist, 
with these with these relationships and they're not getting any smaller right they're expanding in terms of how many people or how many other betting streams that they're going to have yeah and 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 when you have Connor mcdavid and wayne gretzky doing a a a zamboni race on mgf i mean come on we know it's a losing battle i do want to go back i so i went and looked it up jan even as rosy as a year as 1998 was where the jets only had four losses they lost the first two games so I'm telling you, it is burned in my mind how normally the first week goes, even with all these other things we're talking about. So I don't have high hopes. Well, I'm thank I'm thankful for this, at least the preliminary reports, and we'll find out. I'll find we'll find out at eight o'clock tonight. But last year, with all the things that the that the Bills went through in terms of natural events, and I'm talking about playing week two or week three in Miami in 90 degree heat and players dropping out of heat stroke and then Miami coming to Buffalo and it being a blizzard. Thankfully the NFL has recognized maybe you should play in Miami in December and you should play in Buffalo in September or October. Gee, what a shock. You know, so that thankfully they realized that the, bet, the odds are better of having good weather early in the season in October in Buffalo and then good weather and nice, you know, a destination where Bills fans can go down to Miami and watch a game in seven yeah, days. It doesn't snow to like November, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, again, we've used it. We've used the same argument in major league baseball, right? We've always said yeah. that certain, that the, that the cold weather teams, most of them should open on the road, at least initially for the most part, maybe for a series or two, because of the fact that you avoid hopefully some of the crappy weather in the Northeast and then make yeah. up for it down the road when you have better weather here as, as opposed to worrying about whether or not you're playing in a southern locale or a western locale. You could do that earlier in the season and just balance it that way. Well, Michael Michael Kay, and last, last point of this, Michael Kay has made the point about the Minnesota Twins building Target Field without a dome, without a dome or a retractable dome. And if they ever made the World Series late October, early November, it snows in Minnesota. Oh, yeah. you, could, you could have a snow out or you could have 30, de- you know, 30 degree temperatures. That's just the reality. You can have a cold spell, but, you know, you could have a, a snow out in Minnesota if there was a World Series. And then, Don't you know, worry they, about them making the World Series. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, Carlos Correa is doing really well for them, isn't he? Yeah. Okay, uh, let's start the show. Hello, we, we, Russ, Russ, we, we, we have our own problems right now, Russ, with our team. So I'm not making fun of Minnesota, Minnesota right now. <laughs> I, I can't say anything. Half the Yankees are on the IL. Uh, hello, Hockey World. Today is Thursday, May 11th, 2023. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. I'm Jan Levine, and happy that Mike didn't have to look at a calendar to get a date right. And I'm Michael Lagello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. We'll be joined by Kevin Allen in a few minutes. Um, okay, let's start with uh, the news that uh, the, the press conference that's going to happen tomorrow, but the news, actually, I think, was one of the first people who had it he is. Uh, yesterday, was that Keith Jones uh, was going to be named team president of the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, Keith Jones has long been a broadcaster, uh, and NBC Comcast, and uh, I think he was doing TNT games. Uh, he's been doing TNT games. Um, so I was, I'm a, you know, he obviously he's going to be leaving the broadcast booth or in between the benches to be the president of the Flyers. Russ, you know, he doesn't have any kind of managerial experience, but he is a very, you know, he's a, a good communicator. But the question is, is like, I mean, this is not just a communicator job. This is a job of hockey operations. And to my mind, this means it's all going to be on Daniel Briere. Yeah. Um, so, 
look, I, I saw Keith Jones last Friday. We we had a nice conversation. I know him a little bit, and and he's a good guy. I want to get that out of the way because I am not going to let the fact that I know Briere and and Keith Jones and they're good guys color the fact that there's no there's no experience in this front office. There's none, and so I don't know how you expect. And again, good communicator is a percentage of what the hockey ops job is. Now, if you're going to put all that pressure on Briere, that's great, but he's now a GM that has no NHL GM experience or ASGM experience. Like even this year, he wasn't technically, I mean, he kind of was, but you know, uh, at any rate, there's just not enough requisite experience for me to tell you that I have any kind of faith in this. Now I've seen some Flyers fans arguments. Well, we've tried the normal route before and, and it's failed. No, you haven't tried the normal route because the, the normal route has always been too many people have been connected to the Flyers in this process. Even even Chuck, who worked for Bobby Clark, was very connected to Flyers in this process. Now it's all Flyers again in this process. And I'm not saying there aren't good people in the building, but what I'm saying is, is that you get this tunnel vision and it's not a good thing. I've seen it happen in other organizations and it's not a good thing. So, well, Jan, let me ask you this. Glad handing it. I just want to say just glad handing it and having names and having good press conferences doesn't equal winning hockey. No. And, but the thing, the thing that first popped into my head and maybe I'm off base here, Jan, but okay. So now you have Keith Jones, no managerial experience, Daniel Breer, limited managerial experience. There was a, a thought process to getting away from the group, the Bobby Clarks, the Paul Holmgrens, uh, the Dean Lombardis. They're the ones with the experience. So you would think that they're probably going to fall back on those guys, even though the thought process was to sort of get away from them. Like the Edmonton group was, you know, get a, getting away from the Edmonton mafia. But I don't think that they're going to get away from the influence of Bobby Clark and Holmgren and those guys. So it's interesting. So, right. So Keith Jones got the role, but he beat out Olchuk, right? So I'm wondering, A, would we, would we be saying the same thing if it was Eddie Olchuk, who really lacks the requisite experience also, right? So clearly, right? So secondly, you have to wonder now, right, Briere has, has limited experience and Jones has no experience. Granted, he's been around the team for years and understands how the team operates. Doesn't necessarily make him a talent judge. Same thing with Briere. So you wonder, A, will they look for some kind of an AGM or somebody within the front office that is maybe not necessarily looking to move up the ranks, but willing to be one of the one, a veteran sounding board right. to kind of help these guys get settled into their day-to-day operations. Somebody who has a good overall understanding of how management structure as a whole should work. And then point number two. That's happening, Jan. Yeah, that's sort, of, sort of sort of like Lawrence Gilman was. Yeah, I don't I don't believe that's happening though. That's right. And then point number two, what is this now they, they remarked in the press in the press release about Tortorella and the experience that he has. How much how much willingness is Briere gonna have to basically go toe to toe with Tortorella given the fact that he lacks that kind of experience, right? What what does Tortorella bring to the table if things are going south? And they, look if you're gonna revamp you might as well go whole hog and really revamp and bring in quite a, a younger coach if that's really the direction in which you're going to go with. Because this year with Tortorella, I'm not quite sure that any of us could say was a positive direction forward for the team unless you want to establish to a certain extent what the expectations are overall. But I don't know whether or not you would say that a lot of players gained or, or became better this year. Maybe Konechny got better. Maybe there's a handful. But I don't think necessarily we'd call it a good year in Philadelphia and whether or not Torts is the right guy moving forward. 
Well, Russ, this this is the thing that's that's interesting because immediately the dynamic I'm looking at with now Breer and Tortorella reportedly are on the same page right now, but the dynamic here of a new, young, inexperienced general manager and a veteran coach, that sounds like Dubas and Babcock in Toronto. And we know how that went. After about a year and a half, Dubas said, you're not listening to me. You're not, you know, you're trying to exert control. You're gone. I'm not saying that Briere is going to do that, but they really have to be on the same page. And we, we know that Tortorella is going to exert some authority here because he's got the long-term contract and the big money. Right. He right now he is the power broker in the front office. He is. He has the power. Um, we'll see what Briere is able to get done with John. Um, but but John's the power broker. Uh, did John make the Flyers harder to play against? Sure. So if you're going to call that a success, that's what they're actually calling a success, Jan. So that's fine. But you only can get so far in that area like John did with Columbus until you either make the playoffs or you don't, because. The Flyers say they're going to do it the right way. They say they're rebuilding. They're not showing any of those um, things, key things that they're actually doing that yet. So I, I'm, I'm not holding my breath until they actually really do them. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the way this is all set up, the way this front office is set up, and the way it's set up with the coach, the coach has a lot of power. The front office is going to be there to, you know, say what they know and charm the fans and i still believe that they're they're lacking and they're probably the least experienced front office in hockey now and my thing is if this were my business i would have to bring in somebody that has some experience in turning around a franchise instead of worried about hey this is a new direction that we're going in because they need turning around and they're not turned around yet kev we're talking about keith jones being the yeah. president of the flyers with daniel Breer now the permanent general manager and I, I brought the fact that, okay, like, like Russ just said, the lack of experience there, you know, we know that Jones is a good communicator, but the question is now you have that, that influence group of now Dean Lombardi is still there, Bobby Clark, Paul Holmgren, former general managers with the lack of, you know, and John Tortorella being a big money head coach with a strong personality. I just wonder about the dynamic here and whether like, Tortorella or that the the Flyers Mafia will will uh, ex- exert some control or some influence over the inexperienced group that's now in place. Yeah, I mean, I think those are all fair questions, and I I came in the tail end at Russ, but I think I probably agree with him on all this. I mean, uh, I really liked his statement about it's the least experienced uh, you know management group you know in the league today, and that's true. Um, like, I mean, we the lesson we learned in, in following the Buffalo Sabres is, you know, sometimes uh, you can be wrong with that. I don't think any of us like the idea of Kevin Adams um, taking over. Not that we didn't think he could be a good general manager because there was a lot that, uh, you know, that he had to offer. Mm-hmm. But it just didn't seem like the timing was good. There was no one there to kind of guide him. And, you know, he did make some mistakes, but he's actually been pretty good. So... I guess in that regard, we have to give the benefit of the doubt. But Danny Briere, you know, to me, I feel the same way that I felt about Kevin Adams. Like, I don't know, like he may end up being a good general manager, but it it seemed like he really isn't ready. So you would have thought they would have brought in someone above him who, you know, like you wouldn't feel, um, 
as worried about it if you know he brought in a Brian Burke or a Ray Shiro or somebody like that. Now, saying all that, I am bullish on Keith Jones. I, you know, I do respect the fact that you know experience does matter in all this. But I've known Keith a long time. I think he's a really, really bright, who, uh, you know, uh, hockey guy who understands the league, understands what it takes to win. Even his playing style when he played was conducive. To, you know, he was a team guy. He sort of understood how to, um, you know, it, it works in order to be successful. So, you know, I, I like I like the hire. It's just. Uh, all that together. And with regard to that, I don't know that the the Flyers Mafia, as you called it, actually has as much power as they used to have. I think Keith there uh, will be fine. I think he'll have to, you know, the guys he has to worry about is, you know, how the corporate people feel about him. Sure. So I don't think that'll be – it will be interesting to see how that group gets along with Tortorella because Tortorella certainly will – try to manipulate them um yeah, no it's just who, that's just who he is so um and you know i don't know maybe everybody in that position would try to manipulate them but um you know i i think keith has qualities that you know give him a leg up in that situation like i think he can manage uh up and down i think he has that personal personality so you know i'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt but i think it's fair it's fair to question whether this is the right structure for a team to have two inexperienced uh, uh, guys. Well, really like three because Dan Hilferty, who's coming on, isn't a hockey guy either. The, for who now? Who are you talking about? Dan Hilferty, who's coming over from Comcast, who is the guy watching over everybody else, is not a hockey yeah. guy either. Yeah, but generally those guys in the NHL um, don't have a hockey experience anyway, that's so fair. that's – you know, that's so they fair. don't usually go on that. So it's just really the two guys you have to worry about. And, um, but you know, it's it's going to be you know they've set themselves up to be criticized if it doesn't work out. That's yeah. I mean, I just look at it this way. I I showed a few friends the other day, and Kev, you would know this person, Jim Lights. So you look at Jim Lights, right? And he had held presidency. He's held a lot of different positions for like Dallas, Dallas Stars. But yeah. you go look at him. And he was like the head of marketing. He had a lot of other things going on other than being a good communicator and a former hockey player. And a for you know, so it's like, and I don't even know if lights played at, at any level. I really don't know that. He but, did. Yeah. Right. So, but he is what really is supposed to be in that position. And he did go up the ladder like that and has been very successful. It's, it, it's, a, it's a long shot for me to have it be successful the other way. Well, I mean, well, I mean, no, but, but, you know, he's a different kind of president. Like, Jim Lights would not be a good fit in the Keith Jones role that he was hired for. Well, maybe like, 10 he, years ago he would have been. I'm not saying now he wouldn't. He yeah, but, yeah, I mean, the president, that you're, I mean, he, like, there's now the presidents of the teams, and then there's president of hockey operations. Those right. are two different type of roles. Right. Um, and I think, you know, like, you know, I, I wouldn't compare him to Jim Lights. Jim, Jim Lights is a all-purpose president, uh, you know, marketing. There, you know, Keith Jones is not going to be doing any marketing. Um, you know, he's just going to be on the hockey side. Of it, I mean, so. Br Br Brendan Shanahan has been team president with the Leafs since 2014. He doesn't even live in Toronto full time. He lives. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think that's a different different role. So yeah. I, I so, wouldn't worry about that. So, so but but Keith Jones is president of hockey operations, though. 
Yeah, no, that's, yeah, but I mean, that's. Some of that does fall into play. Like there is some of that in the job description, like, hey, there is a business application to this job. No, I I don't think so. Okay. No, I don't think so. Like, I mean, just think about when they, when the Pittsburgh Penguins changed their structure, like there was Morehouse and then there was Jim Rutherford as a GM and they switched to, you know, they still have another guy that runs the business side of it, you know, like, you know. I mean, Brian Burke did more because he had some background in that. But, you know, they've they've kind of split that now. That's kind of the new kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, I know. And, and, and like in Buffalo, I mean, I think the criticism of Adams, and we'll move off of this, the criticism of, of the hire of Adams was that, and I understood this from the Pagula's point of view, uh, he was their guy. He, he was part of the Harbor Center management. He was somebody who was part of the coaching staff going back when they when they had first taken over the team. They, they, they liked him. He was their guy after Ted Black and, J, and Jason Botterill and all the player, all the people who had been recommended to them by the NHL. They decided they were going to go with their guy and not take the advice of others. And that was there was a, it was a scary point for this for the for. Buffalo and for the for Sabres fans because he was unproven and like you said Kevin did make a few mistakes but he he hit he hit it out of the park on the Eichel deal he hit it out of the park on the Sam Reinhardt deal he's made good trades their their draft record at least in the first round over the last few years has been has been excellent so I mean we'll yeah. we'll see how it translates with Briere but it's an uncertainty right now because there's no experience yeah yeah no I mean. You just, um, you know, you just you plant seeds of doubt when you make these kind of moves. But you know, sometimes you got to be bold. You know, um, uh, you know there are people who have been very successful that didn't have experience when they started, and they somewhat learned on the job a little bit, like Kevin Adams did, and have done really, really well. Yeah, and um, I will say I will miss Keith Jones on the broadcast because yeah, we all will. He was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah he is good. I see him every game, like I. But it's just you know, again, I just I have to just look. Remember, John Tortorella. Things that I see too, Kev. Like John Tortorella, in his last press conference, was already talking about how the Flyers would handle free agency and how they would handle this. And he and there's a GM there. You know what I mean? So it's like when yeah. you see that kind of thing happening, and then you see this. That's what I'm sort of putting all together and kind of imagining how is this going to go when. John has this much power. Yeah, well, we don't know whether he has that kind of no, power. No, he, know he talks it. like that. I mean, you know, historically in the NHL, you've had coaches that, um, you know, we've talked about this before. Um, you know, Mike Babcock, after he became Mike Babcock, you know, he he tried to, you know, have a say, but he had a strong general manager in Ken Holland in Detroit. Right. Um, and you know, Joel Quenville used to do and Just to hold it there. So by strong GM, you mean they went toe-to-toe a few times. Correct. Yeah. And, um, and that was and, the reason. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. And then in Chicago, um, you know, Joel Quenville would, you know, Stan Bowman would bring players in with trade, and Quenville simply just wouldn't play them. And yeah, that's how Trevor Daly. I don't like him, so I'm not yeah, going to play yeah, him. So that, the okay. same way. I mean, John yeah. was, But, you know, you do ultimately have control. And, you know, corporately owned teams, I I find their general manager or their director of hockey operations 
have a little more power because they, for some reason, don't mind eating money as much as, you know, the, the single manager, right. you know, so. Well, that was, that was the whole motivation back in 2015 that you, you had Mark Hunter and Kyle Dubas as inexperienced assistant GMs. And the, the talk was they were going to make one of them the GM. And instead, Brendan Shanahan brought in Lou Lamorello to be the buffer and to be the, the sheriff with Babcock. And they, they tangled for a few years because, remember, like guys like Frankie Corrado, they would, he, he picked him up off of waivers and Babcock refused to play him or Justin Hall refused to play him because these were guys that uh, he didn't want to play. And that, you know, eventually when it became Dubas, he wasn't going to take it anymore. And he said, okay, you're gone. So, I mean, that, that battle between a general manager and a coach, if the coach thinks that thinks that he can exert some control, like Torella might think. I, I think right now they're on the same page, Kev. But, you know, if it gets acrimonious down the line, you know, who's got the power? Well, I think it would be – I would think it will be the president because right. I think corporate would back the guy they hired, um, you know, because right. in, in theory they didn't hire Tortorella. That was Chuck Fletcher, so – Right. I think they would, since they hired Keith Jones, I think they would back him. But, you know, it, it'll be, it depends on, you know, what, how the fans react to both Keith Jones and Tortorella. I think right now Tortorella is in a honeymoon phase in Philadelphia. Yeah, he's he's still in the honeymoon phase. You know, the other thing, and I asked Briere about this, that I was surprised that was no change to the scouting group whatsoever, not going to add anybody. Now, they may subtract, you know, after the draft because all teams start making changes then. But that was also another surprise because if I came in, if nothing else, I would have somebody look over, somebody from the outside, what we've been doing, even this year, what the plan is, if that's a good plan or a bad plan, and they're just going status quo with that too. Moving forward even? Um, no, they didn't say moving forward, but right now this – Oh, yeah, but they nev you never – historically, you do not make changes before the draft. No, but the, but the Leafs did. There have been teams that have done it. Well, not but it's not very often. Yeah, no, teams don't like often. to do that. You like yeah. to go to the, you know, and then that's why always, you know, the day or the week after the draft, there's always a lot of, uh, um, you know, people are, you know, the word spreads around that so and so got whacked, and you know, because it happens right after the draft. But you know what they don't, you know what they don't want you to do is take your list. No, no, I get it. Out, that's out, why I wouldn't have fired anybody, but I might have added somebody, a consultant. That's well, it's hard to, you know, guys you would want are. Tied up to other teams, so and the only, and the only reason the Leafs did it in that in that situation, Russ, is because Dubas is a, was a former OHL GM and he had connections in the OHL and he wasn't going to draft any of the guys that Mark Hunter drafted. He had a completely different draft philosophy. Yeah, but so. like as an example, I, I could bring in Chris Pryor. He he's no longer with with the Penguins. He was a really good influencer with the with the Flyers for a long time. He's been yeah. with the Penguins. So you bring him and let him, you know, be a yeah, part. But but maybe maybe the Penguins have him under contract. I know they fired him, but maybe you know. Well, it, yeah, I plus I just don't think it's a it's a good luck before the draft. Um, you know, I, I most of them. You know, Keith Jones and Briere have usually the new thing. They come in, they make changes. You know, throughout the organization. So you know, you end up bringing you know the equipment guy you like that you've had. Yeah. You bring in you know several scouts that you've met along the way. Now, the one thing that is a little different here is Danny Briere has been here already. So I'm sure he has relationships with some of these people. And some of them I'm sure he likes and some he doesn't. So it will be interesting to see what he does. 
Okay. Uh, let's talk about the two games last night. Start with the late game because a lot of stuff happened uh, in that game and at the end of that game. Um, the Edmonton Oilers evened the, the best of seven series, 4-1 over the uh, Golden Knights, three goals in the first period. They really sort of ran roughshod over them. And, you know, then it was basically – I don't think Vegas could – I watched some of the game. I don't think Vegas could really – mount enough of an attack to get back in the game, but it got ugly at the end of the third period as it normally does in these playoff games, Kev. Um, you know, we saw Evander Kane pulling his stuff again, running Alex Petrangelo with about three or three or four minutes left to go in the third period. And then Petrangelo on Leon Dreisaitl, the only thing you could say is that he was doing his best Paul Bunyan imitation because he, you know, he dropped the stick, uh, swung the stick on Dreisaitl's wrist. Um, He's, it's I not, thought it was his arm. They said it was his wrist. I heard wrist. Um, yeah, looked, looked arm on the replay. I don't. Know. Yeah, but well, okay. It, wh- whatever it was, I mean, it was a, it was a it was it was a pretty blatant. Uh, yeah, spot. but I mean, in terms of whether he, you know, he's going to be long term injury, I'd rather have it on the arm, the meat of the sure. arm, than the wrist. So sure. Now he's uh, facing supplementary discipline. He's having a hearing with the. Uh, the NHL Department of Player Safety. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I you know, I saw it. I thought it was pretty blatant. Knowing, the I way- think it's an easy call. I think it's, think one it's game. a game, a game, yeah. two games. Yeah. I mean, it's one yeah. game, not two. One game. One game. Right one game. now, the interesting thing here is that Darnell Nurse. Uh, gets called for an instigator late in the third period. Uh, he runs Nicholas Haig. There's a fight. He gets it gets the instigator penalty, and that's an automatic one game suspension. Oh, okay. It it is likely a one game suspension, but the people online have been saying you know there was a fight between Alex Burrows and somebody else and uh, uh, Chris Russell uh, in 2015. And there was an automatic one game suspension that the league rescinded. So it's not guaranteed that nurse gets the suspension, but I I have the feeling here, if Petrangelo gets suspended a game, they're going to suspend the game. I'm with you. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. It makes it easy for them to suspend him, um, because of that. And everybody loses a top defenseman. So I worry about this series though, Kev, we, we talked about this yesterday. So, Clearly, like we talked about before, now at least we see Jonathan Quick in a uniform. He doesn't seem like he's going to play. And if this is Aiden Hill's team, they're going down quick. I mean, well, no intended. They are. Aiden not, Hill is not up to the task. He did yeah, not. I mean, which goalie do you like the least? Well, I mean, the funny thing is, I like Aiden Hill less than Quick. At least with Quick, I'm going to roll the dice that maybe there's something. Oh, no. I meant, did you like Skinner least? Or, I mean, because, you know. Oh. Yeah, you know, so no, but I think dinner yeah. more than I like Aiden Hill. I mean, you know, at the point where you have Aiden Hill and he's you're fighting for your playoff life, you're in trouble, you're drowning. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I can't dispute that. It's not like he's got a pedigree, so no, he doesn't have a pedigree and he wasn't strong in the first period, but I mean, strong. <laughs> Russ, you let, you, you let me get my point out here, please. Uh, you know, <laughs> Jesus. No, the, 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 thing, the thing here is, is that we don't know. I mean, Quick has not played since the middle of April. He's not played since, I think, the first week of April. So you're talking about a month that he, you know, that, I mean, okay, he's practiced and whatever. Doesn't sound like he's hurt. 
I mean, it's at the point now where, um, you know, do you want to bring in a goaltender who's rusty than a goaltender who did pretty well in game three? He did not play, did not play well in game four. I mean, I don't know what Bruce Cassidy's going to do, but he seems like he's going with anybody other than Jonathan Quick. I mean, Eck said it yesterday in our group text. It's like it's almost getting silly now that they're not going to Quick. Yeah, I, there's something going on there. Yeah, I mean, I, there's no trust in him whatsoever. I don't know if it's, you know, his attitude, if it's his I, – I just have no idea. I mean, because, you know, you would think they would consider it because, as Eck points out accurately – you know, it's not like he doesn't have some history of performing well. So, you know, I think logic would say that they would be giving him a shot if there was not some reason. So something's going on here. Um, right. And, uh, you know, who knows what it is. But um, I do want to counter the argument that, like, Quick hasn't played lately. Like, Lester Patrick didn't practice all year or play all year. He came in and won a yeah. Stanley Cup. We're yeah, not that was 1927. Whatever, but it happened. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that has to do with it. I think it, it, there's something else going on. No, like, there's really, I just, you know, it just seems like they have just totally. Permit, it's odd. The whole thing is odd. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and the other game last night, the uh, the Maple Leafs um, survived for another day, uh, a two-one victory over Florida. Uh, now uh, they go back to Toronto for Game Five tomorrow. I'll be at that game. Um, now I'll say, I'll say this, it was, um, it was a good effort an energetic, desperate effort. I mean, their backs were against the wall. Um, they played really good defensively. Joseph wall was not severely tested, but he made the saves that he needed to make, you know, and they, they blocked a ton of shots. Kev, it was a good team performance. They got two goals out of the core group that hadn't scored in three games. So that was positive. You know, they, they seem to be um, embracing this us-against-the-world uh, mentality. You know, Mitch Marner basically coming out after the, after the game and again saying, I don't care what you guys are saying. Uh, and that's fine if that's what if that's what gets them through the day and that's what motivates them that, 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 that and that's what works. That's great. But, you know, the funny thing is, is that the narrative that we talked about yesterday uh, with one victory still hasn't changed. Now it's like, well, you know, if – if they win two games and they go out in six, then maybe Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keeper say it's like the ball, the, the line keeps moving, yeah. ball keeps moving. So it's like, I, you know, I don't know what yeah. to think about that, but I'm just talk about the game itself first. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a good effort. Uh, did, do we know whether Eklund put the $40 down on them to at least oh, win the no. cup? Nah, nah, nah. Well, it would have been a. I thought we should have bet for last night's game, even though it wouldn't have been a big return. We'd have won something. He, he, so. he put it towards the Taylor Swift ticket. I think it was. Yeah, I mean, it was plus one eighty-five. So if you you would have got if you bet a hundred dollars, you got one hundred and eighty-five back. So I'll take um, it. You know, if you would bet on Toronto, so I'll yeah. take anything you can get. Yeah. So anyway, the uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I I thought Toronto played well, and you know, I mean. I, I, what I thought last night is last night's game to me was more representative of what the games I thought we were going to see um, at the start of the series. I mean, I thought it was going to be those type of two to one games where, you know, the fact that uh, the Maple Leafs have weapons, um, you know, more weapons uh, would be able to to help them, and that's what happened. I mean, you know, they were able to, get, as you said, to get you know key goals out of guys that should be scoring key goals. So. Um, but you know, nothing really has changed now. 
Florida's still got to win one. I thought it was interesting afterward. I read the um, both the Toronto and the Florida reports, and they all talked about how um, uh, light and airy Paul Maurice was after the game, which I found kind of curious about it all. So, yeah, um, usually he's. I mean, he's very good with the media, but usually he's all always, yeah. caustic. Yeah, um, yeah. Sometimes. I mean, I, I'll, I'll say this about the game, and then I did have one more subject for Kevin. Um, about the game, I felt like the Leafs were playing do-it-or-die defense because Wall was in there. Yes. And so, like, you saw that they were trying to limit as many shots as possible. Sure. And it limited their offense a little bit, but it was enough for them to win. I don't know if they could win three more games that way. Like, it's no. a hard effort way to try and, like, get back in this series. We've probably seen in the past it's probably too hard to keep that up. But I give them credit because they did it the right way yesterday, and Florida got back into it late, sort of. But, you know, they did a good job of handling it. But, yeah, I just think it's a big mountain. And I know it's okay. I know it's a common refrain from people on the losing side or and not analyzing a team when they lose about, you know, officiating. It's, it's, it, it's, it gets boring after a while, but I, I will say that Florida has sort of insulated themselves by the way that they play. You know, they sort of like the referees now expect them to be a little cheap or a little aggressive. And they almost accept that like yesterday, Leafs get called for a penalty. Radko Gudis uh, runs in from the blue line and destroys David Camp in the corner, so much so that Camp had to go uh, into the Leaf locker room for the concussion spotter. No call. And at the end of, and at the end of the game, Sam Bennett uh, runs uh, Morgan Riley and a couple. And then it was a, and there's the 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 pile on at the end of the game, and there were no no penalties called. I almost get the feeling. Um, Kev, that, you know, because we expect that out of Kachuk and Bennett and Reinhardt and Montour and those guys, that the referees are almost desensitized by that. And they almost allow it to happen because they expect it to happen from Florida. Yeah, that's an interesting theory. Um, yeah, I mean, I, there were some uh, some penalties that I thought should have been called. But, I, you know, to me, it just seemed more like a playoff game, a tight game. and Yeah. You know, we all know subconsciously it feels like they call it different when it's a close game. And, you know, so um, I, I don't know. I thought it was just a, a good hockey game last yeah, night. Yeah, Bob was keeping his team. Yeah, out. I mean, it was, a, it was a good game. And I agree with Russ. I mean, I said that the previous game that, uh, you know, where it just feels like the Maple Leafs play completely different yeah. with the young goalie in there. And uh, they did it again last night, but it worked out. You know, right. they, you know, and, you know. It's funny, but there are coaches around the league who would watch that and saying, "That's how you're supposed to play the main right, right? You know, like you're supposed to, like you know, you know try to keep, keep the, the shots, dangerous shots down, and all that. Like right. when you do that, you win. They you know? they lost games earlier in this series playing sort of irresponsible defense, like or, or making plays like inside the blue line. You know that you can get away with during the regular season, but in the playoffs, you know when you have four checkers on you and you make a drop pass inside the blue line, and and uh, Gustav Forsling ends up scoring a goal. That's what kills you. One error kills you in the playoffs. I want to answer the chat room. That hit by Gudis was a good legal hit. There was nothing wrong with that hit. It was a charge, Russ. Oh, it wasn't a charge. Come on. And it was. At, and it was. And it was after the whistle for one thing. 
Well, I don't know if it was after the it whistle. It was after the whistle. Trust me. I'm telling you, it was but after the whistle. It was a legal hit. He's not getting suspended. For it was, no, no, he's not getting suspended. He should have been penalized, a minor. Yeah, they rarely call charging in the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. But, okay, so uh, so we have two games tonight. Um, I just looked online to see if there was any indication of who the New Jersey Devils goaltender is. It's like, are they going to call up David Ayers, Russ? I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm wondering, like, is it, is it, is it Schmid? Is it Vanacek? Is it Blackwood? I mean, they can call up Nico I Dawes. Think go Nico. To, I think they're going to go back to Schmid, but um, I don't think there really is no indication. <laughs> right. That's, that's the thing. Kev. Yeah. I, I, I really don't think it matters. Yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 funny though. I mean, you have to give Carolina a ton of credit with no Svechnikov, with no Teravainen, and obviously you know Pacioretty was never really a factor. Um, with Aho, sort of like you know maybe not a hundred percent because he's been, you know, I mean he's got he's been abused uh, in the first couple rounds. They they're a well-oiled machine. I mean, Jordan Martinuk is scoring goals and and score and piling up points. They're they're just a team that's getting scoring from a lot of different areas, and they're just efficient. Yeah, even though they were cast as a team that was going to have trouble scoring goals. Right. So, you know, this has been such an odd playoffs. Like, you know, pretty much uh, this panel hates every goaltender that's still <laughs> left in the playoffs. I, mean, I don't Bob hate Are the only ones we like. That's it. I yeah. You don't hate who? I don't hate Jake Ottinger. I think he's one of the. Oh best no, yeah, Ottinger, Ottinger is good, but he's. But we've even you know pointed out he's had a couple of bad games. No, we pointed out. Yeah, 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 he's had a couple of bad games. So you know he hasn't been Ottinger hasn't been Ottinger. But There's no Patrick Waugh in these playoffs. Yeah, I mean you know you you, you hate the Carolina goal. He's you know Skinner is a rookie. You know just tied Andy Moog's record, but he's a rookie. You know you hate the Ve- Vegas, um, you know goaltending group. Yeah. You know Bob has played well. Yes, Bob's um, played well. You know, so but it's just been a, it's just been an odd, you know, this playoffs goes against everything we know about the playoffs. It's you know it's supposed to be all about the goalies, and you know this has been nothing about the goalies. So, I well, you know, again, Bob, Bob has been important. Bob's been the one standing. Yeah, you know, right. again, he's been the one rock, and he's going to have to get his team through it. Yeah, Bob's allowed two goals per game every yeah. every game. So that's yeah. Well, on most nights, that's enough. To, that that's good enough to win. Yeah, uh, even in the playoffs. Yeah, even in the playoffs. Um, the other game tonight, Seattle Dallas series tied two two, going back to Dallas. Um, Dallas um, after falling behind two one won pretty decidedly in game four. Um, I picked Dallas in this series, so I of course I think Dallas is gonna is gonna win tonight and take the lead. But you know, again, Seattle. Uh, everybody has underestimated them, and they've just been resilient and get and gotten good goaltending from Grubauer. So it's I wouldn't be shocked to see Seattle win. I'm going with the Seattle win <coughs> win tonight because um, Jared McCann's back, and I think they're going to get a, mm-hmm. a spark from that, and he's their best scorer. And and I just think this series is just destined to go seven. Okay. It's just one of those that we don't think it should, um, but it just looks like it's going to. So I think Seattle is going to win this one. Yeah, look how the the playoffs have changed. You know, in the old days, you know, you'd be talking about you know like Lemieux and everything, and now Rush just said he's he thinks Seattle's going because McCann is back. Yeah, Jared McCann. You know, yeah. who you know wasn't even on anybody's radar. Now I know he was the leading scorer this year, but before no, this true. season, I mean, I, I, he wasn't even on anybody's radar. So it, it may sound ridiculous, but 
No, I, yeah, your point is well taken. He was their guy. He was their go-to guy yeah, this yeah. season. So, yeah. It is funny. But um, it's just one, how it's changed. So Yeah, one other subject, um, Kev. So with um, Matt Vaynichkov, you know, I'd seen a lot written about it. Uh, the one thing I can tell you, his talent hasn't changed. His talent is the same. You talk to scouts, yeah. they know what he can do. They know what he'll be able to do in the NHL. The, the matter is, it's just when you can acquire it. What's he going to get here? Yeah. Now that 26 27, like that's, that's a long time. scenario, yes. That that's the problem with it. You know, we we're used to, and I know some people have said um that you know that's how long it takes for for uh you know prospects to develop anyway, but not with a guy of his magnitude. No, um, I mean for a guy of his magnitude, they usually come quicker, except Kuznetsov didn't, Kaprizov didn't like no, well Russians are different, and that's yeah. why they you know probably don't always go right where they should like um like he might fall a couple of spots just because you know he's gonna land after some of these guys lose their jobs so right um right but sometimes well, you do have to so my my ask question for you is yes sometimes you do have to just look for what's best for the organization too and he definitely will fall a couple spots but like i don't know i can't foresee him falling past six or seven no okay and and so GMs are all going to say now that they don't have a problem taking them, but then when it comes to draft day, a few of them aren't going to take them, right? Yeah, that, 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 that's that's so well put because that's exactly right. They're all going to say the right things. Oh, yeah, well, you know, you're not picking for now. You're picking for years on the road. But when they're faced with a guy and they're thinking, yeah, but I can have him in my lineup in two years. Right. And this guy, I mean, just because that's when his uh, – contracts up we don't know if he's coming that year he might sign an extension this war could drag on forever Mm -hmm. um you know so all that stuff well the interesting thing here and you know we'll talk about more about the draft as we get closer to it uh russ but Mm -hmm. it seems to me that the the common narrative is that the draft will start at four that you know that it's going to be bedard Carlson and Fantilli or Bedard, Fantilli and Carlson, one, two, three, and then four is where you start to say, okay, who's going to be the next pick? It could be Will Smith. It could be this guy, but we don't know for sure. And that's all the drama will start at four. Yeah. Even though someone did tell me and I can't discount it because I heard little rumblings last year and I sort of discounted it with um, Slavkovsky. Someone did tell me that he, he had spoken to at least one GM that might take Carlson second. And who knows if they actually would do it when it comes to it, but I don't think it's outrageous. So I think there's a little bit of drama, but not a ton. Uh, but yeah, after once you get past three, because technically Mitchkov could be three easily, like based on his talent, but then everybody's going to start to figure out and extrapolate. Like Kevin said, what are, what is our real long-term plan here? Are we going to wait for him? We're not going to wait for him. So he is going to slip a couple spots that way but i do think and and i don't think anybody's trading up into that top five and i don't think anybody's trading down in that top five i I really don't yeah i mean i i agree with you i i I think there are um teams that have carlson second but i don't think they're sitting in second right now correct um but i could be wrong i mean the one thing about carlson is you're hearing people kind of mumble things like you know he might be able to play next season yes. you know and 
you know, I say this all the time, and some GMs scoff at this, but the ones also know that there is something to this. You're always selling hope, you know, when you're a rebuilding team. And if you can put that person in your lineup and let the fan base grow with him, it, it can be helpful mm -hmm. um, depending on – and sometimes ownership appreciates that. So if you're Anaheim – I mean, Fantilli is, is, you know, the word is he's going back. He's going back, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No. so if that was the case. Um, he's not going to say it, though, Kev. He's playing Corey right now, but but he's going back. Um, yeah. But Dvorsky may be the other guy that, yeah, you could put in the AHL right away, see how he does. Same thing with Carlson. Maybe there are teams, but you're right. I don't know if anybody's sitting. <coughs> I don't right. know if team sitting in second is thinking that way, but you're right. It could be a team in 10th. Saying, yeah, if I had second, I would take Carlson. I, Maybe that's where that came from. I did ask a general manager straight up, if you were just taken based on talent alone, how would this uh, draft go? And he said it would go um, Berard, Fantilli, Carlson, and um, Mishkov. He said that's how it would go for him. Yeah. He said he likes, he, likes the skill, he likes the skill level of Mishkov. But he doesn't offer the same package as Carlson. No, I mean, there's, yeah, that that part's true. If you're getting, and, and I have my my rankings the same way. It basically, with Mitchkov, if you're getting him, you're hoping he's a 90 point guy. If you get right. Carlson, you're okay if he's a 75 point guy because right. he's also big. He's right. also going to play good defense. He's going right. to do other things. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I saw the the him at the uh, what's that called? The Czech hockey. Uh, whatever it was, the tournament. And, I mean, in tight. Holinka Gretzky tournament? No, 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 no. This was the in the pre-world championship. Carlson's oh, on the yeah, national yeah. team. So he played with Raymond on the national Right, he did. Whatever they're calling that. I yeah. mean, there was 123 people in the slot, and he took the puck in to the slot <laughs> and made a couple of moves. Oh, yeah. I mean, it looked like Tokyo at rush hour. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, he's yeah. great at going through traffic. That's that's his gift. Yeah, he, he was he was unbelievable. So. It looked it looked like Tokyo at rush hour before guys. I don't know what they call the, that game. I don't know what it is called, but I know he played with Raymond and he was playing, and and Raymond looked yeah. good too in it. And I don't know what it's called either. Yeah, that's Czech hockey. That there's a third word for it, and something. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> hey guys, that's yeah. fun. So, thank you. Yep. See you All later. Right. Ahead, Thanks, Kevin. So, I mean, we talked about the Flyers thing. We could circle back. I'd like to talk about that for a second. Yeah, just real quick. Um, I'll be there tomorrow as well, Russ. So we'll see. You I won't be. Able, I I have my oh. um, my mom's got to get an eye checkup really bad, yes, and she has to get a surgery. So I'm going to have to watch it online because the timing's not going to work. So because I okay, it sucks. Um, good yeah. luck to her. Good luck to her. Thank you. Um, I know all about that. <laughs> oh yeah. I know family comes first. You guys know that. Um, yeah. All right. So, um, which is right. It's just shocking that I might actually be there tomorrow. Um, anyway, um, I didn't hear your opinions on it, but I'm going to guess. Okay. So guess it. Yeah. All right. Um, inexperienced. Mm -hmm. um, showy, like a little bit like, cause he's a pop Jones. He's a popular guy. And this will, this will be the fans will be happy about this. Yeah, like a charming kind of thing. Yes. Charming guy. Good, yeah. Yeah. Um, good communicator. Right? Communicator. Right. Um, players will like the fact that they're ex-players. I mean, I didn't maybe. say that. Yeah, you know, a, I know that was a positive thing. So I guess I probably didn't say that. Say that. Yeah, no, none of us said that. But okay. All right. So what did the I miss? Thing, the other thing I'll add to that you didn't know is I said 
They are now the least experienced front office in yeah. hockey. They are. Yeah, and I and I and I and I brought up the fact, and Kevin sort of shot it down a little bit, but the fact that there's not a lot of experience there. I mean, does that really mean that the what I called the Flyers Mafia, the Clarks, the Holmgrens, you know, Dean Lombardi, who's not part of that mob, that 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 they will not have any kind of influence or control? That's an interesting take, Mike. Um, but I can tell you that these guys are not well, part of that clique. Okay. Russ is going to these guys are not part of that clique. Like that's that's a different right. group. And right. I think you know, I think that that's a good thing because they these guys are. Um, I mean, this is what I'll say. Obviously, it's an experience. You're right. I mean, there's no question. You can't sit there and say that either. Now, this hockey ops, you know, obviously, they're going to bring in more people who are hockey experienced. Sure. Um, both are very smart as far as that goes. And the, and one of the one of the things that we all said was that um, it would be a good idea to bring in a veteran sounding board as an assistant general manager, sort of like what Lawrence Gilman was in Toronto for Kyle Dubas. Okay. Uh, right. You know, if, if, you know, not to say Ray Shiro, but if somebody like Ray Shiro was willing to take an assistant general manager's job or somebody like that, with yeah, a lot he did not want this job for some reason. Um, right. But, 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 but not Shiro, but if there's somebody out there who's a yeah. veteran assistant GM or somebody's, yeah, I think that you'll see that. And I, don't, I think you might even see like a different, like this is president of hockey ops and the com- the president is technically the guy from the board on the Comcast thing. But um, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw another president come in um, as well. This is they're all about this team concept. Um, Briere's experience, although very light, he knows what he doesn't know, which is which is a good thing. You know, like you talk to people who I hate people like so many. There's so many GMs in the league right now, and assistant GMs in the league right now that'll that'll BS you because they think they know something. But then there's the guys who you really trust. Like and Paul Holmgren was this way, and I wrote some articles. A Paul Holmgren got a lot of respect throughout the league because if you asked him a question and he didn't know it, he was like, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to find out and get right back to you. I have always respected that in, in people, just in general. You know, like I, I would rather just sit and Holmgren was very good. If we get right back to you, we'd find the answer out. Um, I think Briere and Jonesy are similar to that. Um, but also Briere's has a very, very strong relationship with, with his former agent, Pat Brisson. Very strong. Like it has been, has, is, is way more, I mean, they're friendly beyond just player agent type thing. You know, um, he's told me many things, different things about, um, you know, how, how smart Brisson is, how great he is, you know, how he thinks he's one of the best hockey people out there, how Brisson was going to be the GM of the Canadians, but decided he didn't, he didn't want to leave his agency job. And instead, Bergevin took it, which was Brisson's recommendation. Right. Um, so when you, when you talk to a guy who talks to a guy like Brisson, you're talking about a guy who does, he's beyond just your normal, like ex hockey player. Like he's, he's very, he's very smart and very, obviously he looks like he should be Paul McCartney and Beatlemania down at the shore. Like that's what, when you see him, he's, 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 he's not big. He doesn't look like an ex hockey player, but you know, he, he was not big. And that's why he almost didn't make it in the league in the beginning because no one thought he could play. Then he almost took two teams to a Stanley cup, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, Jonesy is a totally different character than Briere. Um, in that like, you know, he's more of like the farm kid. He is, he's, but the thing about Jonesy that you will never worry about is the work ethic, like on this kid, on this guy. Like um, Keith Jones, the people who aren't in Philadelphia don't know this, but Jones was part of the morning morning team on um, on the AM Sports Talk radio station here. Like he would be, they you know, so that would be like six a.m. to ten a.m. Monday through Friday. And as you see, Jones, you know, works the Flyers games, flies back with the team at night. 
um, often often works you know for NBC or any or ESPN or whatever, and, and ends up in different places like that. And yet, you I would be amazed because I was watch I would watch these games. So I'd fall asleep and I would wake up and he was on my radio live in the studio in Philadelphia. This guy just does not stop. Right. Like he is he's ridiculous. I'm gonna I'm gonna post my original Flyers Buzz TV show, which is really funny. Like the, the, the one I did for Comcast. My original one, I interviewed Danny Briere on the first episode and had a segment with Keith Jones. <laughs> this is really funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, I respect these guys, you know, and, and listen, they aren't experienced, um, but they do have something that hasn't been here for a while, and that is that they are winners, and they are also people who have overcome. Jonesy overcame a lot to get in the league, too, you know, and don't, and you know, and also is super intelligent. Like people forget that Jones saved Derek Lindros's life, you know, in Nashville. Um, when he when he found Lindros in the bathtub, you know, and, and Herring, and he's like, you have, you have to go get your spleen checked out, and Lindros' spleen had exploded. So that, it was crazy. I mean, that if that doesn't happen, if, if Jones isn't rooming with Lindros at the time, who knows? You know, Lindros, this is a smart guy. You know, he's a go- goofy guy, but a smart guy. And uh, I think that there is a there is a connection to the way I, for what it's worth, to you know, I often often pine for the days of Ed Snyder. You know, maybe more so than I should have, but. I knew Ed, you know, I got to know him and I, I knew what it was like to like have a guy who really wanted your team to win and really also just wouldn't take any crap. And if someone embarrassed you, your team, you traded them immediately. It doesn't matter how good they were. That kind of thing has been missing in Philadelphia for a long time. And, you know, like I had said in my article, the big bad Bruins are still the big bad Bruins, but the broad street bullies are no longer are dead. Right now that doesn't mean that you have to push people around and fight people. It's just, the Big Bad Bruins means more than fighting, as we all yeah, know. It's a mentality. It's a mentality, and it's something that, you know, you know, the, they used that thing called the Flyers flu. That, you remember that from the 70s, you know, when the Flyers would show up, you know, when, when, when teams would come into Philadelphia, the players would be sick because they didn't want to play in that environment. It's just that environment, you know, Holmgren, Holmgren was a part of that, but Holmgren's not an outward guy at all. Like, Holmgren, Holmgren's not a great PR guy. I heard him laugh like three times, I think, in my life. And it was really funny, Homer, when he laughed, because it was shocking. Like, he actually, actually laughed at something you said. And I tried to make him laugh, because I sat, like, right next to him in the, in the press box several times. So I tried to make him laugh, and it was a joke. Could I make him laugh before the third period? He was just dead serious. Where Jonesy and Briere are not dead serious. They get it. They get what fans are about. They get what they get that this team has been taken over by apathy. I have a text chain, which I wish I could share with Keith Jones over the last several years, where I've texted back, and here's, you know, a guy doing television over the flyers and i'm texting to him and, and i'm saying like this is pathetic like what the heck is going on there you know and, he, and in the commercially sending me back to yep i know ed would ever ed never would have gone for this other and there things like you said said to me and those you said to me in those little text chains that i wish i will never release because they're private but that would give flyers fans a lot more confidence than they have right now now i'm proud that the people at comcast saw this enough to make this move because they have been completely oblivious to this kind con- to this concept you know with the flight with people they brought into philadelphia um, now, will it be successful? It can't be worse, right? Um, but it, and that's a horrible way to go, right? <laughs> you know, Mike. But anyway, I think I think it'll be interesting for sure, and I think it'll depend a lot on who they bring in to work with them for for sure as well, and especially in the scouting world. You know, they need they need to be smart with that, and they know that. Um, but that's why, like I said, Briere having connections with Brisson, it could be interesting to see what happens there too. I'm not saying Brisson's going to come work for the Flyers, but no. He'll definitely know the right people who can help. Like he'll know, you know, these are people that people know. So we'll see. I'm going to go. We'll see how it is. You know? Maybe a guy like Mark Bergevin, if you're talking about in terms of 
a, a general manager, yeah. somebody who's a former general manager who might yeah. be willing to take an assistant right. job. There's a guy, I mean, you know, and, you know, Bergevin is, um, there's a lot of that personality, like, you know, make a mistake about it. Briere is a French Canadian kid, you know, like he has. And didn't Bergevin, wasn't Bergevin the GM that brought Briere to Montreal? Absolutely was, you know, no question about it. And, um, you know, and the French Canadian coach there. That's <laughs> the one who drove Pierre oh, out of it. I mentioned him. That's right. But um, yeah, but you know, there's a lot. But yeah, the, but there's um, you know, Briere likes to know what's going on with the team. I know that for a fact, and I know, yeah, you know, I've heard some great stories. Like a story they used to tell me when he was with Montreal at that time. Um, so the coach was our friend, um, Terrian, um, also JJ Daniel, and Gerard Gallant was an assistant coach at the time. Yeah. Um, so those were they would sit at a table when the when the team would have their meals, they would sit at the table, and Briere liked to sit next to the table. Um, because he liked to hear what they were talking about. Just, just hear just the strategy wise. He would sit close to them, you know, and not and where everybody else was not. Really, but he liked the strategy. He liked to hear what they were thinking, where they were going. And he also did that so he could translate to Gallant what the other two said, because the other two would sometimes speak in French with Gallant there and not and not speak in English, which was infuriating to Gallant. <laughs> he's, he's like, I'm an assistant coach here too. You guys, these guys would go back and forth in French once in a while, like just purposely keeping Gallant out of it. So. There's a connection with Gallant and Briere too. I'm not saying that that that, that means anything, but I know they I know that they they're buddies. So, you know, who knows how this plays out? There's a bunch of ways to play out, but I thought it was interesting enough. I definitely wanted to come on and just talk about it for a second with you guys, um, for sure. Even though I had this come back from this um, thing, let's all, can I also talk a second about the Leafs Panthers game, Mike? Sure. <laughs> can I hear your thoughts on it? Because I know the rest of the world tuned in for that. I'm dying. Well, I- I no, I said I said there was a it was a good workmanlike effort. They showed a level level of desperation and energy. They you know they blocked a lot of shots because they had an inexperienced goaltender. Yeah. Um, and their core players actually scored, and that you know, but the, what what game four showed is a complete difference from the first three games in the sense right. that they you know their core guys needed to do what they did in game four to win right one or two of the games and now now they finally realized that but the problem is is now you're down three to one yeah. and you know you're still behind the eight ball you're still not you know Florida is still not feeling any pressure you know they can go and play you know fast and loose in game five and the you know the pressure of being at home will be on Toronto since they're one and four on right. home ice you know it only the pressure only starts to swing on Florida if the Leafs win on Friday yeah goes back to Florida three two and Florida says okay well, if we lose this game we're going back to game seven so you know yeah. like I said I call me when it's when it's game seven until then I you know I, I Russ. But yeah, what I, what I wrote, I wrote an article years ago when the Flyers were down three nothing to Boston, explaining how they could come back, and you know they did, which was on which. But you know, I, you know, me and the optimists they always write how they could come back. So there's many times I've written how they could come back, and they. I haven't. remember in that series they lost Krejci in Game Three, and they lost never Krejci won without Krejci. Right, and that was a big thing because Mike Richards hit him uh, skating across center ice. I remember watching clear as day um, live. Um, but I said that I believed that there was an advantage to a team. When they were down 3-0, that didn't have home ice advantage, where the Leafs have home ice advantage. And I think that – I don't know that that necessarily plays into it because that game seven is going to be – if you're coming back 3 nothing, it's going to be by far the hardest game to win because the pressure just – if you get to 3 nothing and you blow it at home in game seven, that's a big, big deal. I yeah, like, and, and also the – and I, was, I said this is because, you know, like – Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick were talking about the fact that, uh, you know, they're down three, nothing. And if they lost in four straight, it would almost be worse if they lost in five because they would have come back from 
uh, yeah. come back to Toronto and lose another game at home, and that right, I remember you said losing that. in five and losing in four wouldn't be the difference in terms of the heat on Dubis and Keith. But if they got to six, then maybe they would show that okay, yeah. you know, they just fell behind and. You know, they lost to the better goaltender and all this. And I, I don't know whether losing in five or losing in six makes much of a difference. I, I, the, I think it does because I think it's always good to win your last game at home. You know, like I, I, the reality of that is your fans leave remembering a win, you know, which is always a good thing. Like I always feel I've been to some Stanley Cups, you know, where a team loses the Stanley Cup at home, you know, and that's always a tough thing to swallow, you know, but I've, I've been to other Stanley Cups where they've, like I was in the you know the Edmonton Carolina Stanley Cup. Where I went back and forth through those seasons. I was in I was in Carolina thinking that it would be over in five. And remember, it went to overtime and Edmonton scores the goal. And then I have to fly to Edmonton, spend everything I had basically get to Edmonton. And I'm in Edmonton and they win that game. And the the party atmosphere of winning that game six was unbelievable outside. I mean, that's a great memory for those guys. No matter what happened in game seven, I'm thinking to myself, that is something. You know, like when you win that game six. The, I was at the, the the greatest game I ever went to as a fan. My greatest memory of the kid is, is the Flyers winning Game Six against Edmonton in in '87. Like that sends you know when the three when the three goal comeback in the third period that sends it to Game Seven against a team that no one thought the Flyers could beat. So the reality right. was, so those are great memories. Yeah, I think that that is better to win your last game at home. So I think well, winning Game Five. Right. I mean, no, no doubt. But what I what I'm talking about is the ramifications of the of what what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. And the funny thing is in the last 24 hours, it's like uh, the report came out that, um, you know, Mike Sullivan is not being right. overboard in Pittsburgh. He's got a lot of, he's got as much power in Pittsburgh. No, he's, Cause he so, has Crosby. He has got Crosby. And, and you know, that's the reality is. Right. So, so this talk about Dubas and Keith going to Pittsburgh, it's, it's, it's bunk. The thing I think MLS and E is going to offer Dubis an extension. I I would be shocked if he doesn't take it because I think there's unfinished business business in Toronto. I think the the only ramification here is that Keith has got another year left in his contract and maybe they don't extend him or maybe they only extend him a year. But I think if there are going to be changes in Toronto, if they lose in the second round, the changes are going to be to the roster. And that's, those are overdue. I mean, you can't really question Dubas on many of the changes he made. I mean, the only changes I would question is, is, you know, and and we have this, we don't want to get into it, but it's goaltending. Like that's the one you can, that's the one you can guess on. You can say, okay, we did take a little bit for being a Stanley cup contending team. He took a little bit of a reach, but it was Um, the lesser, it was the lesser of two evils. Right. You think it's the lesser of two evils. I don't think, I'm not saying if they re-signed Campbell, that was the answer either. If they were going to be a Stanley Cup team, they really needed to do something bigger. And, but, now, and now if they think Wall could be their future yeah. one or at least a 1B, and you've got him signed for less than a million dollars for another two years, that that's really a huge helps. piece. That's a huge piece, and that helps them. And like you say, the money's easy for that. You know, Murray could be a solid backup. Samson could be – I mean, I would probably have Samson as a backup. But, um, yeah. you know, instead of Murray – or there's other backups out there. If you – if, if you know, if Wall's going to be your guy, and Wall seems to every indication he does, he does a lot of little things that I like, like just as a goalie that I haven't seen the Toronto goalie do in a long time. He's a good puck handler. He's very, he's very, uh, he's a good, good athlete. You know, yeah, you know where he really impresses me. The one thing that not enough goalies do it actually, but Broski does this too, um, is shots from out far. When you see a guy set up for deflection, the way to play that as a goalie is to go right to the guy who's deflecting it, because if you're right. If you're right up against the guy who's deflecting the puck, it doesn't matter which way the puck goes. Like, it's going to hit you. Right. If you stay back, it could deflect either way, over top of your shoulder, underneath you, whatever. So I've seen Wall do this where he sees the guy who's going to deflect it, and he basically, like, charges, plays the angle right on top of that guy. Right. Um, Bobrovsky does it too. 
it's definitely something that, you know, like, you know, you know, Zaleski didn't do. Like, and we see that kind of, you know, like, you know, this is something that's, that's really good. I mean, this is, this is a 3-1 series, but it still doesn't feel like a 3-1 series to me. And I know you don't want me to curse them. But I didn't curse them because I said they would win and they won. But the reality is this, like, these teams are pretty close. Um, they're pretty even. And there is so much riding on confidence in both directions. Um, you know, if the, if the Panthers lose their confidence, they get blown out in game five, for example, for some reason. Like, say, but Toronto comes back and blows them out. It's not necessarily the best thing, probably, because, you know, for Toronto, because then maybe they get overconfident going into game six. But, you know, it's hard to be overconfident when you're facing limitations. So I think that, yeah, I just, I think that this is, I think this game five is a scary, it's a scary scenario for Florida. And, um, you know, and I think that at least not getting swept is enormous. Like, that, that matters. Because you know, if you did just ask Florida, you know, who they won the first round last year, the Florida people forget the Florida beat beat um beat Washington, Washington in the first round last year. Washington, Washington, yeah. Yeah, they lost. They beat Washington in the first round, but then they got swept they by Tampa, which everybody remembers. That's what right. they remember about last year, you know. So I I really felt like that's what people were going to remember in Toronto too. If they got swept, and I think that they'll if they lose in five or six, and Florida goes on to win the Stanley Cup, it's it's a little bit excusable. Right. We'll see how that plays out. But anyway, that's my thoughts. I appreciate it. I know it's a late knowing late. I appreciate just talking fast, but thanks for letting me get let me on. Sorry I wasn't here. Thanks, guys. Thanks, thanks for jumping on and thanks um Mike for everything. And we will probably not do a show tomorrow. No. Because uh we got this press conference and you're traveling to Toronto. Yep. And um so we will, you know, if any if anything we'll we'll shoot, you know, just 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 keep an eye out, see what happens. But it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun. <laughs> It's going to be a fun weekend of hockey. I mean, we're going to know a lot by the next time we te- see each other on Monday. Yes. <laughs> we'll know everything, basically. Remember, without the buzz, it is just hockey. We will talk to you on Monday. Enjoy. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.